Time is 5.08 p.m. A note that the ringing of cell phones, page alert, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please turn your devices off. Due to the COVID-19 health emergency and to protect commissioners, department staff, and members of the public, the Commission on the Environment's meeting room 416 is closed. However, commissioners and department staff will be participating in the meeting remotely. This precaution is taken pursuant to the statewide stay-at-home order and all preceding and proceeding local, state, and federal orders, declarations, and directives. Commissioners will attend the meeting through video conference or by telephone if the video fails and participate in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. SFGovTV.org is streaming the number up at the top of the screen. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 1-415-655-0001 and entering access code 2484-648-3848. When connected, please dial star three in order to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location speak clearly and slowly, and turn down any other devices. Alternatively, you may submit public comment by email to the Department's Commission Affairs Officer and environment at sfgov.org. You should submit, if you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. And I will now call the roll. Um, all right, President Stevenson. Here. Oh, great, okay. <laughs> Vice President On. Here. Commissioner Bermejo. Here. Commissioner Hunter. Here. Commissioner Sullivan. Here. Commissioner Wald. Here. And Commissioner Wan. Here. All right, President Stevenson, we have a quorum. Excellent. Can everyone hear me? Yes. <laughs> All right, good. Sorry about my technical difficulties. Good evening, everyone. Uh, the Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatish Ohlone peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize that the Ramatish Ohlone understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramatish Ohlone peoples for their enduring commitment to Warep, Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge and in how we care for San Francisco and all its people. Thank you for your attention during that important acknowledgement. As we all know now, fall in the Bay Area is a stressful season as we anticipate wildfires and regularly check the air quality. It was almost exactly a year ago on September 9th, 2020, that we experienced orange skies over the Bay, and we faced a harsh reminder that the impacts of climate change are already a part of our daily lives. I don't think any of us have forgotten that day, and it's now forever a part of San Francisco's history. This year, the world's watching as some of California's most iconic landmarks, our giant sequoias, are at risk of burning down. In order to protect these beautiful species and vulnerable communities throughout California, it's up to all of us to push forward and keep moving toward a better, cooler, and safer future for everyone. 
As we look ahead, I'm excited tonight to be able to recognize a San Francisco student who's leading the way for her generation and creating meaningful change in our city. We'll also take a look at the department's refreshed strategic plan and hear updates on just a couple of the impactful programs that the department is implementing, integrated pest management and energy access SF. Is there any public comment on the president's welcome? All right, thank you. I will put the instructions up for making a public comment. There we go. And just a reminder that comments should be related to this agenda item, which is the president's welcome. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. If you do not press star three, then your virtual hand will not be raised. And you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I don't currently see any callers in the queue, but we'll take a brief pause in case anyone would like to call in. All right, seeing no callers in the queue. Okay, no callers in the queue, public comments now closed. Next agenda item, please. All right, we'll move on to item three, approval of minutes of the July 27, 2021 Commission on the Environment meeting. The explanatory document is the July 27, 2021 draft meeting minutes, and this item is for discussion and possible action. Commissioners, is there any discussion? Um, and can I hear a motion to approve the draft minutes, please? So moved. All right, moved by Commissioner Bermejo. Do we have a second? Second. Seconded by Commissioner Awan. Are there any discussions or changes? All right, Katie, let's open up public comment, please. Great, all right, I will put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen. And again, just a reminder that comment should be related to this agenda item, which is the approval of minutes. And if you would like to make a comment, you will have three minutes to do so. And please make sure if you are calling in on the phone to uh, pre please press star three in order to be added to the queue. Otherwise, your, you will not, your virtual hand will not be raised. All right, I'm not currently seeing any callers, but we'll take another brief pause. All right, I'm seeing no callers in the queue. All right, let's close public comment. Katie, please call the roll. All right, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President on. He's indicating an eye while he's muted. <laughs> Great. Uh, Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. And Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, the motion passes. Next item, please. All right, moving on to item four, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. All right, let's open it up for public comment, please. All right, put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen. And I'll also just read the instructions out. Um, so if you would like to call in to make a comment, please dial 415-655-0001. And enter access code 
648-3848. And you will then need to press star three in order to be added to the queue. If you do not press star three, then you will not be added to the call queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers, but we'll take another pause. I'm seeing no callers in the queue. All right, then public comment is closed. Katie, next item, please. All right, moving on to item five, presentation of the Commission on the Environment Environmental Service Award to Lena Wong, and this item is for discussion. All right, Commissioner Hunter, it's nice to see your face. I missed your first meeting last time. I'm sorry that we, we can't be face-to-face -face for whatever technical reasons, but I'm excited to hear you um, take on this next item and introduce our Environmental Service Award recipient. Uh, well, one day we'll all meet in person. That day exactly. just not today. <laughs> um, but I am very excited to present this Environmental Service Award to Lena. She is a student at SF Unified and has been doing great work with Barrier Youth Climate Summit to volunteering at Heron's Head and really taking a moment to celebrate all this work as being an inspiring young leader she is, she's really making an impact in the community, I think. Um, since being this young representative, she's doing great work with Zero Waste as serving as well as serving as an ambassador to Earth Eco and working on our water monitoring and advocating for our oceans. I think that there's a lot to be done with the climate crisis, and I'm so glad our planet is in the hands of young leaders like Lena. And so with that, I am pleased to join my colleagues in thanking Lena for her commitment to bettering the planet and wish her the best in her future fighting for the climate. But actually, I am going to pass it over to Gianna. Gianna, do you, do you like to say a few words? Yes, thank you. Um, I just wanted to say it's with great pleasure that we uh, give you this award, Lena, and that you exemplify youth leaders who are at the forefront of our climate movement. Um, your service is very clear in all the spaces that you that you uh, inhabit. And um, also just wanted to highlight how important, even in the virtual spaces this year, it's been that you've held workshops and youth climate summits as well. So we're grateful for the work you're doing at Galileo and throughout San Francisco. Thank you. Katie, would you like to say a few words? Uh, yeah, sorry for I couldn't turn on my camera. Uh, Lena actually only got to know her for a couple of months. She's my student in my math class this year. I'm a math teacher at Galileo, and I'm also the sponsor for Zero Waste Club at Galileo. So I'm looking forward to, we just started this new club, looking forward to have Lena bring in uh, new ideas and also help support the whole Galileo community to be more greener and create zero waste. Thank you, everyone. Lena, the work that you're doing is amazing and honestly surpasses anything I ever did in my youth. So uh, mad props to you. Lena, do you have any words? I do. Um, so thank you for giving me this environmental service award. Um, when I'm in nature, I lose track of time and all of all the beauty around us. Even if it's a newly planted tree in my neighborhood or seeing something big like a new climate policy being passed, it is important to work on climate issues because 
We only have one earth and it's important to preserve the resources we have currently and we will have or else we will have irreversible consequences like the extinction of species, melting of our ice caps, sea level rise, and an increase of natural disasters. And on September 9th, 2020, we witnessed just that, the, the orange smog that covered our sky caused by wildfires. This past year, I worked with some amazing people in the climate movement. Shout out to everyone at the Bay Area Youth Climate Summit for being such supporting great teammates and guiding me through the climate action world. I really enjoy my time working at BCS because I get to connect with so many like-minded people and working together to outreach to our schools and spread awareness about the issues happening in our environment. I enjoy putting together workshops and seeing the end result, which is everyone knowing what's happening in our world. And it's awesome that I get the opportunity to work with BCS. Um, I also enjoy going down to Herons Head Park doing habitat restoration with the Green Agers of SF Rec and Park. I think it's great to take both digital and real life action to protect our environment and planet. Once again, it's such an honor to be receiving this award. Thank you so much. And thank you for all of your work. Please colleagues, virtual round of applause. <laughs> and uh, President Stevenson, back to you. Great. Thank you so much. It's inspiring. I love when we get a chance to talk to the youth of San Francisco and congratulations on your award. Um, Katie, it would be awesome to open up some public comment for this item, please. All right. I will put the, oops, give me one second here. Here we go. Put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item, which is the Environmental Service Award. Please make sure um, to press star three in order to be added to the queue. Otherwise, I will not see your uh, name and number pop up in the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers, but we'll pause for a few seconds. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, let's close public comment. Next item, please, Katie. Thank you, Anna. All right. Okay, moving on to item six, review and vote on whether to accept the policy committee's recommendation to approve resolution file 2021-04-COE, adopting the 2021 reduced risk pesticide list for city properties. Under the Environment Code, the department maintains a reduced risk pesticide list identifying those pesticides that may be used on city property, subject to restrictions. The sponsor is Deborah Raffel, Director, and the speaker is Dr. Chris Geiger, Integrated Pest Management Program Manager. The explanatory documents are the staff memo, resolution file number 2021-04-COE, and the 2021 reduced risk pesticide list. And this item is for discussion and possible action. All right, thanks. Director Rafael, would you like to introduce the item, please? You are muted, Debbie. Of course I am. Thank you. We, we had a very robust discussion about the reduced risk pesticide list specifically and the whole IPM program in general at the policy committee meeting. We're not going to repeat that here, but I want to raise a few of the highlights that the policy committee was able to hear that we won't be talking about. 
we talked a lot about what it's been like to function as an IPM program during COVID. We were hoping COVID would be over this year, but of course it isn't. Uh, I think some of the interesting things that have happened, um, sort of that blessing and the curse of COVID, is the technical advisory committee meetings, which have been going on for decades, literally, um, actually grew in participation. Their typical numbers were about 30 to 35. They peaked at 95 people, and that's because, frankly, it's a lot easier to get on a meeting and a call if you don't have to leave your, your desk sometimes. So there are some blessings of the pandemic and certainly attendance in our trainings is one. Um, Chris talked about all the pilot testing that continues to go on. We, we don't stop. We're always looking for alternatives to Roundup, for alternatives to our tier one products. And those, product, those projects continue as with all of the work we're doing in, in affordable housing to pest proof um, buildings so that we avoid the use of pesticides altogether. Uh, we had a little bit of an ironic situation happen. Uh, we had identified an alternative to Roundup. Everybody was excited. They were kind of surprised at how well it worked. And yet it, the ingredients looked incredibly innocuous. Well, it turned out the manufacturer was lying about the ingredients. And when that came to light, the, um, the product went off the market. And of course, we stopped using it immediately as well. So if it's too good to be true, probably it is. Um, we also heard from Chris about, uh, well, we actually heard from our colleagues at the airport about the incredible work they're doing, looking at every single lease for every single occupant of the airport to bring IPM to all of them uh, in a real holistic way. We heard from Department of Public Works about a yeoman's effort to refurbish UN Plaza and get rid of the habitat for rats and all of the coordination that that took. It was uh, in, an amazing example of what collaboration means and what integrated pest management, what that I, that integrated part really means. So what you're gonna hear is um, some data about pesticide use. You will see that in fact, there was a small increase in 2021. Chris will dissect that for you. But overall, uh, we continue to be incredibly proud of our efforts and Chris will give you the details. So I'll turn it over to Chris Geiger. Thank you, Debbie. Well, you've said it all at this point. Uh, there's not much more. Um, let's start it up. Okay. So um, I am going to talk a little bit about the reduced risk pesticide list that we are proposing for the coming year. Uh, and this, just as a reminder, applies only to city properties, city operations. What you're seeing here is not a pest. This is one of the good bugs that we depend on. It deserves some honor, so here it is. Uh, and next slide, please. So uh, as Debbie mentioned, I'm just going to, I'm not really gonna dive into any of the activities. Uh, I'll talk in broad terms about the trends and summarize our recommendations and then um, Debbie's asked for me to give about five minutes uh, uh, reflection, sort of higher level reflections on the IPM program. And the reason is that I, after 18 years here, I'm going to be leading city service at the end of February. And it's likely that I won't be before you again, uh, before, uh, at least on this topic before then. So it's a good chance to 
I guess, step back and talk about what I've seen in 18 years. Uh, next slide, please. So um, I'm gonna go back on my promise and just talk about one activity that is the nearest and dearest to my heart, which is the pest prevention and affordable housing. I just want to, you, I want to let you know that um, we are actively following up on our efforts to build pest prevention into, uh, I think it was about 3,400 units of affordable housing five years ago uh, under a grant that is that we are now implementing. And I am gonna be here to the end of this. Uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna finish this up. I think it's important to know how effective it has been and uh, whether you know the pests are being controlled, if so, what's most effective, and if, if quality of life has been improved for the residents, that's the important thing. So I just wanted to highlight that as one of the important projects that's going on. Next slide, please. So the metric that we have been most relying on for pesticide use in the city has been uh, the use of the tier one, also known as most hazardous pesticides in the city. And the trend from our baseline year of 2010 to 2020 is 97% reduction since 2010. That's good. Next slide. But not as good as last year's. Last year, it was a 98% reduction. We lost a percentage. We did sort of foresee this. Some of the city uh, city uh, IPM folks were warning that this might happen. And I'll tell you a little bit about the reasons in a moment. Um, next slide, please. Looking at it in a different way, this is what the tier one pesticide use looks like citywide uh, since 2010. Next slide. And this is what the, the tier two and tier three, the less hazardous products look like. And you'll notice there's quite a big increase in 2020 uh, for the tier three and tier two products. So what happened here? Let's look at the next slide, please. Part of it, according to our partners at Rec Park, was no doubt uh, linked to COVID, <laughs> like so many things. Uh, they could not carry on their extensive volunteer weed, weeding programs. And I think Christopher is here uh, from Rec Park, uh, if there are any questions on this. And that certainly uh, increased the need for some uh, herbicide use to maintain good habitat management in some of the um, areas, the 3,000 odd uh, acres that Rec Park manages. Um, uh, but that's not all. So next slide, please. And I have to thank Debbie for pushing a little bit on this. And this kind of shows why uh, these, these metrics are not always what they seem. In looking at this more closely, a bigger part of that tier one increase were, was a couple of applications of borax. It's about borax, uh, borate products that are used for preserving wood uh, uh, preventing infestations of wood infesting beetles and so forth. Uh, Rec Park did some treatments at uh, the Pioneer Log Cabin and Japanese Tea Garden. These are um, these are considered least toxic products or least low, I should say, lower risk products by our program um, 
even though borates are rated as tier one hazard because there is male reproductive toxicity associated with them. But that toxicity is at very, very high, high exposure levels, such as you would encounter in a factory, for example. Uh, so we do not consider this to be um, a problem. And this is also the least risky technique for preventing infestations in these, um, these historic dwellings. So that accounted actually for 62% of the increase in uh, tier one use it was just from those couple of applications of borax essentially in those buildings. And the rest of it was uh, due to an increase in garland, which is the tier one herbicide um, used mostly in, in natural areas. Um, next slide, please. So that, that accounts for the tier one changes. For tier two and tier three, we looked at it a little closer, and it is overwhelmingly due to applications made on Harding Park Golf Course. Um, golf historically, uh, especially at this course where we have um, uh, uh, standards that are set by by uh, the, the golf tournaments, at least partially set by the golf tournament uh, tournaments, uh, the organizations that we work with. Um, uh, when they do make an application, it's a large one. The good news is the tier, one, of, one of the big applications is a, a tier three product. It's a mineral oil. It's just a mineral oil that's used to prevent fungus. And the other one is a botanical product uh, from the neem tree, it's a, a neem oil that's used for a variety of um, uh, pests, including nematodes and some insects. So uh, the, the amount is large, the hazard's very low. Uh, and I was very happy to see that. Uh, that makes the news a little bit better on the trend. Uh, next slide, please. And I think as Debbie mentioned, we've continue, continued to reduce the amount of glyphosate use on city properties. Uh, next slide, it's the active ingredient in Roundup. We had some discussion of this at the policy meeting. We are now at 98.4% reduction in glyphosate use on city properties since 2010. Um, next slide. So I'm, I'm just going to briefly summarize what we're proposing in terms of changes to the reduced risk pesticide list. Um, and Debbie mentioned one already, which is the our false hope for the organic herbicide called weed slayer uh, that we've now taken off the list and we took it off immediately as soon as the news came through that it was a fraud. Um, we're a lot better off than a lot of organic growers out there who are suing them, collective um, uh, class action lawsuit. Um, we uh, changed out a generic rodent bait, rodent bait for a uh, specific product, and this is just a matter of um, having more to choose from. Uh, I won't summarize all the rest except to say there are a couple of interesting tier three products. We're adding a bird repellent uh, that is basically grape, artificial grape scent. <laughs> it smells like grapes. Um, and uh, some living nematodes, ground, microscopic groundworms that are used against insects. So uh, these are the, some of the major changes. Uh, next slide, please. And it's, I should also, mentioned that we further are, are further restricting Roundup use, even though it's already already down to quite a, a very low level. Uh, 
the uh, technical advisory committee uh, recommended this language as something that's workable for city city staff. And so we're incorporating this prohibition on its use in situations that don't fit this criteria. So, uh, and then we did update language and these are mostly admin administrative things for other six other products. Uh, next slide, please. So now it's time for a, a very big change of subject <laughs> and giving a few reflections on 18 years with the IPM program. I can't believe I've been here this long. Uh, I kind of followed Debbie here. Well, the little couple year delay, she is the one who really got this going. Um, and I came from Cal EPA. Um, she lured me out here 18 years ago and, um, and no regrets. Uh, I think, first of all, I've just been incredibly honored to be working with all the city staff involved with IPM. They are so impressive and, and so talented. This is a professional group that, um, is highly trained in the subject matter. Um, I guess, you know, I, I could say a lot of platitudes about the program, but I'd, I'd rather just give a few things that might be practically useful going forward. Um, a, a few lessons to pass forward to the commission and to whoever succeeds me here. Um, and the first is something I've said fairly often, but I'll say it again. IPM is not a San Francisco Department of the Environment program. It's a citywide program. And we facilitate it. We, I hope we have helped along the way to get things moving, to keep it on track, uh, to make resources accessible and data accessible. But it's really the commitment and expertise of that core group of IPM professionals out there and the other departments that has made it happen. And the, big, the metric of success I always like to cite is the fact that we have been having monthly meetings completely voluntary monthly meetings of interdepartmental um, uh, interdepartmental meetings for 20 years and people keep coming and people are still enthusiastic 20 years of an interdepartmental voluntary meeting pretty good and I think when I look back on this probably one of the memories I'll I will <laughs> treasure is how tough it is to get people out of the room after these meetings we are sitting there, we're there for an hour afterwards sometimes because people are still talking, sometimes griping about their bosses, but often and usually they're exchanging information about this topic and uh, they are talking, this is a peer-to-peer -peer learning network. So that it's good to remember that this is not, we don't have ownership over this. We have a role, an important role, but it's not our program. And the, the, just the second thing I would say because uh, I got to keep this short, you know, is maybe doesn't sound as good on a headline, but IPM is not just a pesticide reduction program. It's not a pesticide reduction program, not a revolutionary, but it's true. It's a lot more than that. And as a matter of fact, in the early days of the program, pesticide use was a much better measure of success than it is now. Back then we were getting rid of the bad stuff, some really nasty bad stuff and having some drastic reductions based on uh, tech, other techniques. Now that the amounts used don't necessarily reflect the potential for harm. 
because like we just saw, we used a big amount of a botanical oil or mineral oil uh, looks in, and uh, or we used borax for you know preventing beetles. Uh, it's it's really a harm reduction program. It's a harm reduction program, not just based on pesticide hazards, but also based on the pests themselves. We saw this so many times working in affordable housing. Walk into a unit, there's one I'll never forget, and I probably showed you the slide at some point, a unit that's been vacant for two weeks and the countertops are covered with coffee grounds except they weren't coffee grounds. It was cockroach feces. It was so many cockroaches that the whole place was covered. These were not, uh, this was an issue, not of pesticide use, but of bad pest management and of a whole lot of other troubles that they had out there. Um, so uh, in fact, it was just not inhabitable, in my opinion, some of those units. It's a very big service to the city to work on these and to get good pest management in place that's as safe as possible, that reduces harm from all sources. So uh, it's it's a harm reduction program. In some ways, it's a part of an ecological landscape management program. And Christopher, who is watching, can probably tell you all about what's the rest of that landscape management program. Um, it's also a training program. and. Again, 20 years of the Technical Advisory Committee, um, spring IPM trainings, all sorts of specialty trainings. So with that, I, I think that's the way to think about this going forward. It's um, not to brag, but I'll brag anyway. It's, it's a picture perfect example of the precautionary principle in action. We have um, uh, evolved, we have, um, transparency and um, proactive uh, action to prevent harm. We are looking at all alternative alternatives. We are involving people and perceptions of people, which sometimes are not correct scientifically, but are important nonetheless. So it's a, in many ways, it kind of fits that definition of precautionary principle. And we've evolved lots of systems to make that happen. So I, I'll get off my soapbox, but it's it's been I'm just so grateful to have been work with the program. We're going to do everything we can at a smooth transition moving forward, um, and uh, it's been uh, wonderful working with the commission as well. So thank you for all of this. And um, uh, I guess you actually have an action item, which is to consider the adopting the list after all that. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I think that um, your humility is is lovely and unnecessary. I think that anyone looking at the reduction that you see those lines like sharply dropping, um, that's a testament to the work that you've done here. And I think it's a testament to the way that um, you know, I think it's a, it's a perfect example of how the department sits kind of at the center of the wheel with all these spokes that go out to all the rest of the departments. This isn't something that we can all do alone, that it's something done in tandem with all of the other players across the city. And I think that you have sat in the center of that, that wheel with all those spokes going out for such a long time and done such a beautiful job in that role, really serving 
the city and dedicating yourself to toxic reductions across San Francisco. And I think that that's going to have ramifications for us forever, right? And I think that you should you should be so proud of that. So I appreciate all the work you've done, and I really, really value everything you've given to this commission and to the city. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, commissioners, I would absolutely love to open up to any comments or questions. And it sounds like we have uh, Christopher here as well um, from Rec and Park. Is that right? To answer any questions that might come up? Commissioners, are there any questions or comments? I can't see if people raise hands, so I can't call on anybody. Sorry, Katie, you might have to help me out. Uh, Commissioner Wald has her hand raised. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I, I have to comment on Chris's big news. And, and uh, I mean, it's very big news. I think I might have been here almost as long as he's been, and he has been as President Stevenson said the center of the at the center of the wheel when it comes to IPM and, and uh, this program. I I have to thank you hugely for your service to the department and uh, the city. I I want all of us. I hope all of us will acknowledge Chris's huge impact on the IPM program and the use of herbicides or or the declining use of herbicides here in the city, the encouraging statistics that, that he showed us that we've seen over the years, those declines in the use of tier one herbicides and particularly glyphosate reflect your leadership, Chris, and the strong and resilient relationships you built with the IPM programs and staff throughout um, the city. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And congratulations to you and to all of your colleagues in the IPM programs for all you've accomplished over the years, not just since 2010, uh, and not just this year and last year, but through the entirety um, of the program. It's a real tribute, I believe, to San Francisco's and the department's uh, willingness to take on a huge and hugely important uh, topic without uh, fear of failure. And indeed, it has turned out to be and uh, as a resident of San Francisco, I'm incredibly uh, grateful. And I don't know if this is the right moment, but if it is, I would like to move for approval of the resolution and the list and to do it in honor of your extraordinary service. All right, I hear a motion from Commissioner Wall. Do I have a second? I will second that. Motion. All right, Commissioner Sullivan seconds it. Any other com commissioners want to speak or ask any questions? I would just like to, to chime in and agree with everything that Commissioner um, Stevenson and Wald said. I just want to add one more thought, which is, you know, Chris's work is 
been incredibly successful and the department's work has been incredibly successful. But part of that has been not just reducing um, the, the pesticides, which is in itself been an incredible success, but also balancing um, that with the, you know, the, the need uh, for uh, pest management, um, the, the natural areas, pesticides and in, in herbicides in some limited areas and, and uh, cockroaches need to be eliminated. And it's always a tough balancing act to figure out how to, how to reduce the use of these, um, these pesticides while still getting the work done. And so that's, I think I've only been on the commission a much shorter period than Commissioner Wald and Commissioner Stevenson, but I've really admired the balancing act that, that uh, has been done it's because it's really tough. Thanks, Commissioner. All right, looks like Commissioner Bermejo has her hand raised because I figured out how to pull up the participant list. So Commissioner Bermejo, please. Thank you very much. I wanted to echo the sentiments expressed by you, President Stevenson, Commissioner Wald, and Commissioner Sullivan. And th thank you, Chris, for all the work and how you just patiently explain exactly how we are working together um, with the IPM program. So just want to wish you all the best and thank you so very, very much for all your work and your commitment and for bringing so many people together in the city department. It's no small feat to bring a coalition of folks and still keep something going and keep the interest level up as well. So all the best to you and I'm sure that we'll hear more about your next steps, but thank you so much for your service. All right, Katie, I don't see any other hands raised. So let's open it up to public comment, please. Okay, I will put the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen. And just a reminder that comments should be related to this agenda item, and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And if you dial in on the phone to make a public comment, please remember to press star three in order to be added to the virtual queue. If you do not press star three, you will not be added to the queue. One second while I check the queue. Doesn't look like we have any callers, but we'll take a brief pause. I'm seeing no callers in the queue. All right, with no more public comment, public comment is now closed. Katie, let's call the roll call vote, please. All right, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President On. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, the motion passes. Thank you everyone and thank you again Chris. Katie next item please. All right moving on to item seven presentation on energy access SF and progress to date. The sponsor is Deborah Rafeld director and the speaker is Kathleen Bryan senior energy efficiency specialist and Becca Rabin outreach associate and this item is for discussion. All right director Rafeld. Thank you. Oh, wow. So this, you know, these are such core programs for the department. So it's wonderful that you're hearing about IPM and energy efficiency in the same meeting. 
Um, as you know, San Francisco has aggressive decarbonization goals. We want to get off of natural gas. We want everything to be all electric in our buildings. And equally, we want to reduce the amount of energy or electricity that we need to operate buildings. And so that gets you to the importance of energy efficiency, decreasing the load in a building. And we need that to be cost effective. We need it to be accessible to all San Franciscans, to businesses large and small, to our residential program. And for years, we had a, a public-private partnership or a partnership with PG&E, and we called that Energy Watch. That ended in 2020. And what PG&E did is they said, all right, we're not having any of these public partnerships. So public agencies, if you want to work with us, you have to bid like anyone else. So we had to write a proposal to PG&E to put ourselves out as a provider of energy efficiency services. And so what we did was we looked at our strengths and our strengths are both the incredible technical expertise of our energy efficiency team and the incredible creativity of our outreach team. And we brought those together into something we called Energy Access SF. And that is what you're gonna hear about today from two of our magnificent staff, Kathleen Bryan on the technical energy efficiency side and Becca Rabin on the communications and outreach side. So I'm really excited to hear their presentation and to experience it along with you. So take it away, Kathleen and Becca. Hi, good evening, everyone. I think we have a presentation from Katie going up. My name is Kathleen Bryan. So Debbie told a lot of the story already. So excuse me if uh, we're a bit repetitive here, but good evening, everyone. Director Fell, Commission Secretary and members of the public. Thank you for providing us with the opportunity to highlight our new local government partnership with PG&E Energy Access SF. Next slide. So our story begins with the legendary program, San Francisco Energy Watch, which Debbie alluded to. For those new to the commission and members of the public, San Francisco Energy Watch was an energy efficiency program that served businesses and multifamily properties in every corner of the city. Funded by state ratepayer funds, SF Energy Watch spanned nearly two decades. In that time, nearly 8,000 projects were completed and we paid out more than $24 million in rebates. And the energy team did it all in this program. We did outreach and marketing, staff conducted energy assessments, specified equipment, referred contractors, and then paid the rebates to contractors and customers. We were an energy efficiency speak program implementers. Next slide. So about five years ago, the California Public Utilities Commission, the CPUC, gave new direction to the utilities. They required solicitations for new implementers and pushed for payment based only on the energy savings that were delivered. And this model didn't fit well for local governments. So PG&E carved out a new sphere for local governments, emphasizing new target audiences and themes. PG&E wanted programs to focus on public buildings with PG&E service, and this is a challenge for San Francisco because our public buildings get clean Hetch Hetchy electricity instead. They wanted innovative programming and they wanted programs that focused on disadvantaged communities and hard to reach customers. Essentially, 
PG&E wanted local governments to provide outreach and marketing for their implementers rather than be implementers ourselves. With this new focus, we wondered what our new partnership would look like after nearly two decades of experience. Next slide. So this new focus on disadvantaged communities and hard to reach customers established the boundaries for our proposal. A disadvantaged community is defined by Senate Bill 535. The term refers to the areas which most suffer from economic, health, and environmental burdens. So we have two DACs in San Francisco, South of Market, Tenderloin neighborhood, or a portion of it, and then the Bayview-Hunters Point neighborhood, as you can see. Notably, Bayview is comprised of 94% people of color with 56% of residents who do not speak English at home. Next slide. So given these factors, the new direction from the CPUC, a new focus from local governments, and our Energy Watch experience, we proposed a new partnership, Energy Access SF. We submitted our proposal to PG&E in December 2019, and by July 2020, we were under contract and ramping up. So let's learn more about Energy Access SF. Next slide. So Energy Access SF is the answer to the question, what will our new partnership with PG&E look like? has a $2.5 million budget over three years. Next slide. The goal of Energy Access SF is simple, to provide access to and facilitate participation in energy programs. In particular, we want access for the residents and businesses in our disadvantaged communities and surrounding neighborhoods. This concept was conceived and developed using our rich Energy Watch experience along with outreach teams. It also leverages recent developments in data science. Next slide. So our approach to accomplishing the goal can be described by this formula. Data science plus trusted messenger equals energy program participation. Next slide. So let's go back to our earlier map to show our target audience over the three-year program. We're currently in program year one in Bayview-Hunters Point. Program year two will focus on the mission Excelsior where we will continue to serve single family, residential, and small and medium businesses, or SMBs. Though this neighborhood is not a DAC from our Energy Watch experience, we know that significant opportunity remains, that many residents and business owners have English as a second language, and that most businesses lease their spaces. Finally, in year three, we are in San Francisco's second DAC, the Tenderloin Soma, where we will work with multifamily building owners and SMBs. EASF will run through June of 2023. Next slide. Within each of the three service territories, we will focus on small and medium businesses and residences. Next slide. So let's learn more about the program's three steps. First, we use data science to unleash the power of 15-minute interval data to identify customers with both strong efficiency opportunities and a high propensity to participate in programs. Second, using our rich experience in outreach, we offer community-based delivery by credible, trusted messengers via the Environment Now team and our energy coaches. Finally, when we find interested customers, we determine the best fit program for each, whether it's bill relief via care and retrofits via the Energy Savings Assistance Program for qualified low-income customers, or the Bayren Single Family Program, the Commercial Direct Install Programs, or numerous others. Next slide. So let's meet the team. The Energy Access SF team draws on the experienced energy efficiency implementers of SF Energy Watch, 
Next slide. And adds in a wealth of knowledge from the outreach team. Next slide. So let's dive into the details. Step one consists of data analysis. At this step, we're leveraging the power of data collected by smart meters. Our partners, Recurve and Radiant Labs, will help filter for electric and natural gas accounts with high energy usage and opportunity, as well as a high propensity for participation. The filtered data not only targets our outreach efficiently, but it also enables us to customize our outreach and messaging. And now I'm going to hand it over to Becca Rabin. Next slide. All right, next slide, yeah. Um, so step two is, next slide. Regardless of step three, we need to present While the programs can be featured Becca, can you lean in? We can't really hear you. Oh, sure. sure. Oh, now that's much that better. A better. Yes. Okay. Can you Great. go back a slide? Because I didn't hear what you said. Okay. So um, I'll go over step two deploying the trusted messengers and SFE's outreach team. Next slide. So um, regardless of sector, we make sure that we deliver simple, accessible messaging. Um, many of the programs are complex, but we make sure that the web page and collateral content is easy to understand. Next slide. The web pages and collateral were made in English, Chinese, and Spanish, and staff are available by phone with dedicated in-language phone numbers. Next slide. Oh, I'm getting a message that folks still can't hear me. I can, I can hear you. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So for a more personal touch, we begin our outreach with mailers um, and these go out to all the targets from our filtered lists. The mailers use SFE and city logos to establish trust, inviting our residents and businesses to access energy efficiency resources, including energy efficiency rebate programs, rates assistance programs, and financing. After each mailer, we follow up with a deeper dive, phone calls. We are providing in-language phone calls, drawing on our team members with Spanish, Cantonese, and Mandarin skills. Since the pandemic restrictions have lifted, SFE staff are also available to conduct energy efficiency assessments at businesses. And we will soon be promoting via in-person events and tabling with community-based organizations. More on that later. Next slide. Specific to the small and medium businesses, Energy Access SF has two energy coaches, Rena Lopez and Michael Fung, dedicated to conducting on-site energy assessments. They are experienced energy auditors from the San Francisco Energy Watch program. Our energy coaches make the initial phone calls and attempt to schedule energy audits with customers. Next slide. After each energy assessment, Rita and Michael provide a written report to the business identifying their energy saving opportunities. Next slide. Finally, the energy coaches assist small and medium business customers with zero interest financing. Currently, we have two options, PG&E's on-bill financing for larger projects and the Mission Asset Fund small business loan for smaller projects. Next slide. 
Now I'll go over our tactics specific to the residential sector. Next slide. So specific to single family residences, we will provide a homeowner energy report. These are customized reports to show a single family homeowner the benefits of specific energy interventions. To model the benefits, the software ingests assessor data, building, plumbing, and electrical permitting data, and US Census data. Next slide. So this is a summary of what the outreach look, looks like. Um, again, during each of the phases that you see here, we make sure um, that reaching out to each of the three sectors, everything is in uh, three languages to reach um, as many folks as possible. Next slide. When we have interested customers, we send them directly to a third-party program, including the Bayren Home Plus program or one of our direct installers. For single-family customers, we refer them to four programs, two of which are focused specifically on low-income residents. One offers discounts on energy bills, and the other offers free home energy upgrades. Next slide. Energy programs are amongst the hardest to market. They tend to be the most complex and intangible. Many energy programs require doing costly equipment upgrades, which are out of reach for most low-income homeowners who do not have sufficient disposable income. We also have had limited contact information for this project. PG&E was unable to share phone numbers or email addresses, so we've leveraged voter registration data. However, undocumented people are not registered to vote. We can't do door-to-door -door outreach to residences because of COVID, um, and doing cold calls by phone is a big challenge as people are used to ignoring unknown phone calls. There are also technological barriers. Many seniors struggle with email, which is necessary for enrollment in some of the programs. Next slide. We see different but equally challenging issues for businesses. In particular, the business left many, uh, the pandemic left many businesses uncertain as to how much longer they will be in business, which makes them reluctant to invest in upgrades because they don't know how long they'll be around. Next slide. In spite of the barriers, we've been very encouraged by results to date. So far in Bayview, mailers have been sent to 835 residents. Emails were sent out to about 400 residents. Phone calls were made to 475 residents that we actually had viable contact info for. Um, of the residents we were able to reach by phone, we saw a very high number of referrals. 60% were interested in one or more programs, which is very high, especially for cold phone calls. I mean, if you think about the last time you said yes to an unknown caller over the phone, that probably hasn't happened recently. Next slide, and I'll pass it back to Kathleen. Hey, thanks, Becca. So to overcome the barriers Becca mentioned, here are the next steps we're taking. Next slide. In our first batch of outreach earlier this summer, our soft launch, we determined that work with neighborhood community-based organizations, or CBOs, would benefit the program by increasing program recognition and trust factor in the community. In order to break down barriers to both residential and business sectors, the outreach team is finalizing partnerships with two CBOs. First, Be Magic, the Bayview Hunters Point mobilization for adolescent growth in our communities. And second is EDOT, Economic Development on Third, which has a small business focus. 
we are still looking for a third partner to roll out this year. In addition, we have plans to do ads in the Bayview local newspaper in both print and digital to target different audiences. Next slide. So let's recap our latest local government partnership, Energy Access SF. The goal of the program is to facilitate participation in energy programs by residents and businesses in vulnerable communities. Our formula is data science plus trusted messengers will get us to the goal. We're currently in year one, Bayview Hunters Point. Year two will be Mission and Excelsior. Year three, South of Market Tenderloin. The budget for the program is 2.45 million over three years. So we had a great run with San Francisco Energy Watch. During that program, we built deep, deep staff expertise, delivered tremendous value to our community and learned about our community's needs. We evolved based on new regulatory direction, then drew on our decades of experience to deliver a new program that is focused on San Francisco's underserved communities, Energy Access SF. Last slide. Thank you so much for your interest and attention, and we're happy to answer any questions you have. All right. Well, thank you for that. That's awesome. I'm, I know that when everything changed from PG&E over the last year or so, it was a little nerve wracking. We looked at all the good work we've done for so many years with Energy Watch. I'm really, really happy to see how the department's been able to be um, innovative and uh, directional and really jump back into the fray um, with this program. This is awesome. I have one quick question. Are there target um, numbers of participants that we're looking for? Um, is there is there some kind of a goal that is we want to have X number of participants or X number of kilowatt hour savings or is there something that when PG&E looks at this, how are they going to determine what success is? Sure. Yeah, we are still resetting some of those targets with PG&E due to the obvious disruption since the beginning of the program. But in short, we're being judged by the number of mailers we send, mm -hmm. by the number of successful calls we make. Other metrics include the number of energy assessments that we do, and those, uh, as Becca said, have been in person, so we record all those. Um, all of the energy action plans that we send out, that is also a metric. The number of referrals that we send to other programs, so for the case of the small and medium businesses, we're sending these leads to the PG&E implementers, so the folks who are actually going to spec the project and do the project installation. So those are the metrics for the program. That's helpful, thank you. Commissioners, do you have any questions or comments? Commissioner Bermejo, it looks like your hand is raised, but I'm not sure if that is from before or if that is new. That was from before. Okay. Let me undo that. All right, seeing no commissioners with their hands raised, I wanna take it back to Director Rochelle. A question. I, I just um, wanted clarification from staff on the definition that we used, and I've, I've talked about this in the past, but I'm, I'm curious, are we uh, constrained by some kind of state funding guidelines to use the disadvantaged communities of DAC's definition in particular? I notice you, you do expand emission in Excelsior after all, which of course is not included in that definition. Sure. So the, the initial map that we show is by the state definition. But because they also want service to these hard to reach customers, and that is a separate definition set by the CPUC, we included the mission Excelsior 
Um, initially, we had expected just to do small and medium businesses there because more of them meet that CPUC definition, but we received permission to add in the single family customers for year two. So it became um, slightly bigger that year two target. And, and sorry, just to be super policy wonkish, but is it based on the care definition? Like what, what is the hard to reach, or is that just a term the CPC has developed itself hard to reach? They have developed it themselves and it's been, a, it was debated a lot over the past five or six mm -hmm. years, but essentially uh, it's very challenging to meet that definition outside of the DAC but you still can't by having English as a second language, having low usage and low employee count, and then leasing your space. So that's for those SMBs, those three points get you that hard to reach qualification when you're not in a DAC. Thanks for clarifying. And maybe this is just for the public at large, but you'll probably notice if you looked at the original state map that uh, the territories, I guess, that are considered so-called disadvantaged, in other words, deserving of resources in San Francisco, it's very limited, it's very prescribed. And I know uh, the San Francisco Department of Environment has done a lot of work in terms of working with the state level to try to improve that definition, make it more inclusive so that Mission District can be included. You know, uh, Chinatown is another key community I would love to see as part of the DAC's definition. And just to note too, like if CalEnvirus Green Draft 4.0 which is the current, you're using currently the 3.0 map, but if the draft 4.0 map goes forward unrevised, that's incredibly problematic for the city because Soma and Tenderloin will just totally fall off and it's just about Bayview. Of okay. course, Bayview is a community of extraordinary need and we should be focused in the Bayview, uh, but I just want to make sure we're also including other, you know, communities uh, that most people would normally consider, you know, frontline communities, communities that's deserving of resources as well. Thanks, Commissioner. I want to hand the mic back to Director Rafael, please. Thank you, President Stevenson. And yeah, Commissioner, on that is such a good point. And because PG&E was doing this under CPUC guidelines, they made the rules on what was what met the criteria. And we have spent so much time at CPUC trying to affect their definition. And as you rightly point out. We have spent a lot of time with the state trying to make adjustments and um, it's, yeah, they just look at us and say, well, I'm sorry, you know, it, it does, the definitions don't work for San Francisco, but it's a, it's a problem because there's resource allocations based on those definitions. So I wanted to um, make another note uh, publicly right now, because it turns out Kathleen is, this is probably the last time you are going to see Kathleen Bryan. And that is because she is moving on in her career. Um, and so I wanna just take one minute to say, Kathleen, thank you. Uh, you started at the close of 2006 when you started, the department was much smaller. You ramped up the Energy Watch partnership with PG&E with all the craziness under Cal Broomhead and with Ann Kelly and all these wonderful personalities of people that you've worked with over the years. You have grown as a professional. We have given you more and more responsibility. You were even acting energy program manager for a while. And what I just wanna say is even while all the chaos and everything is going on around you, 
you remain unflappable and you are just such a calm force for doing the right thing. Um, under your leadership, we had almost 8,000 projects and paid out $24 million in rebates. So you are leaving having made a real difference in this city. Uh, I believe, Kathleen, that you truly embody our department's values. Commissioners, you'll hear more about our values in a minute, but in particular, credibility, collaboration, impact, those are just who you are and you bring those with you every day. And frankly, everyone wants to work with you, whether it's people in the department, at PG&E, in the Air District, um, you are just an amazing colleague. And I wanna end with Lowell's words. Lowell says, as a colleague, Kathleen always brings her best. As a leader, she always brings out our best. And I think that is a beautiful way of encapsulating um, all those years of your professionalism. So we will miss you. Thank you, President Stevens. Thank you, Director. And thank you, Kathleen, for all your service. We really appreciate the mark that you've left on the city. Commissioners, any more comments or questions? All right, let's open it up for public comment, please. All right, um, give me one second while I pull up the instructions. All right, so the instructions for making a public comment are back up on the screen. Please remember that comments should be related to this agenda item, um, which was the presentation on Energy Access SF and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And if you are calling in, please remember to press star three in order to be added to the virtual queue. If you do not press star three, I will not see you appear in the queue. I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take a brief pause. I'm seeing no callers in the queue. All right, public comments now closed. Let's move to the next item, please. All right, moving on to our next item, item eight, update on the department's strategic plan. The sponsor is Deborah Rafel, director, and the speakers are Asia Mishak, program manager, communications and community engagement, and Deborah Rafel, director, and this item is for discussion. All right, director Rafel, please. Thank you. Um, well, this is gonna be fun. I just want you to relax and um, sort of get in the vibe with us as we talk about our, uh, present to you our strategic plan. I'm really grateful to Asia Mishak's leadership uh, as the program manager for our outreach and communications. The, um, my God, I just blanked out on the name. The operations committee hears a lot from Asia, but not so much the policy committee. So I'm excited that you all get to hear from Asia tonight. She and I are gonna tag team this. We're going back and forth. Um, you may remember the last strategic plan. You were all very, very uh, much a part of it. So we're calling this a refresh rather than a revolution. And what we're gonna do in the next 20 minutes is we're going to set the scene for you, remind you where we've been, introduce you to the plan, the goals, and what some of the sub goals are 
and then just wrap it up. There's you know more detail in reading the plan. It's a beautiful looking plan. Mark Nicholas and his magnificence did a great way job of putting it together in a readable format as opposed to some 50 page document. So I encourage you to enjoy it and look through it. Uh, this presentation just takes pieces out of it. So with that, thank you, Katie. What you, the first thing you'll notice is that this is a three-year strategic plan, not a five-year strategic plan. The reason for that is because it's a refresh. And so we wanted to um, acknowledge the fact that we are doing a lot of other work on our climate action plan. We are in a pandemic, but we need to update this strategic plan. So we've made some very important changes, but because it isn't so driven by the community and the commission, we are uh, capping it at three years so that we can get back to this uh, in a year or two from now. Next slide. So when you think about, when we think about a strategic plan, I like to think of it sort of with two metaphors, a compass and a touchstone. So the compass, the purpose of a plan is to point us in a direction so that we don't have mission creep and are wandering around the universe of possibilities we are focused and we understand what our priorities are and why they are our priorities. It's a touchstone because it needs to be a document that doesn't sit on a shelf, but that we keep coming back to as a check on how we're making decisions and how we're using our resources and how we're having impact. So for us, a plan is, is something that must not be just a written document on a shelf. It must be the compass and the touchstone. So with that, I will turn it over to Asia. Give us a little background. All right, and good evening commissioners and all. Um, and if you could advance us to the next slide, please, Katie, that would be great. All right, um, so it's great to be here and to talk a little bit about this labor of love, this project that we've uh, been working on for about the last year or so. Um, but before we advance in providing you some additional context for our current plan and for the contents, I wanted to take a, a step back and a look back uh, just to provide some context for how we got here. Uh, now, as several of you will recall, our 2016 to 2020 plan was informed by in-depth community engagement, specifically a series of what we coined community dialogues or workshops in which some of you all participated that were aimed at helping identify and understand community priorities with respect to the environment and our environment here in San Francisco. Our goal was to have those priorities reflected in the contents of that plan, which they ultimately were. Uh, that project was also my introduction to the environment. So it was just, you know, diving into the deep end. It was a great opportunity to just engage all across my, with my colleagues across the department and of course with our community members um, you know, and, and talk more and learn more about our programs and services and how they've impacted or could potentially impact them and what they needed. Um, so this new three-year plan is an iterative update on the last. It was informed by public feedback, this time garnered during the Climate Action Plan community engagement process, which coincided with the development of SFE's new strategic plan. So many of the learnings that emerged from that process affirmed the strategic goals and priorities that are outlined here. Uh, next slide, please. So the framework of our strategic plan, this new plan, uh, and some of the key contents are going to be very familiar to many of you, including our mission statement, which you see here. It only got a, a slight tweak, 
Um, so our, the department's mission continues to be to advance climate protection and enhance quality of life for all San Franciscans. Um, if you please advance the next slide, Katie. Our values are also still the same. We have the same core five core values of credibility, innovation, collaboration, equity, and impact. Next slide, please. And we have six goals this time and instead of five. Um, and beyond that, there are notable new additions to this plan. If you could advance to the next slide, Katie, uh, that we will highlight, including a new goal uh, right at the top. And we'll go into that in just a second. So our new additions to this plan reflect the current legislative priorities and the policy agenda um, of our department in our city and the enhanced racial equity priorities. So moving on to the next slide. Uh, this is a, I've, I've found to be a really helpful guide and it even was for me when I first came to the department. Um, so just to give you a bit of context for how the plan is structured and in some cases a reminder, we have six key goals and then offshooting from those goals, we have anywhere from one to three sub goals uh, that, are, that offshoot from each goal that kind of crystallize specific sort of goal areas. And then offshooting from the sub goals, we have objectives and strategies. And those strategies are really the actions that we are ultimately taking to implement and move forward, uh, drive action toward the goal, the parent, parent goals that we have. Um, underneath that, we have key metrics. And those metrics give us an indication of the progress that we're making toward the achievement of the goal. Uh, we have, we cite accomplishments in the document itself and those really provide some anecdotes or some, you know, qualitative examples of um, projects or programs that exemplify how we're moving forward and advancing the goals. And then we have quotes from our community um, addressing their priorities as it relates to each goal. And I will pause there uh, and I'm going to pass the baton to Debbie. Great. So the thing I would just say about this slide is that um, we're not going to go over the objectives and strategies tonight. That is something that I would invite you to take a look at the plan and see. Uh, and that's very exciting to me what's in there. Um, we're going to stay at the goal and the sub goal level and just give you some highlights. So next slide. So we're going to dive in now to the six goals. So as Asia said, goal one is a new goal. And we, we talked a lot about, do we need, does racial equity need its own goal? And, you know, because clearly racial equity is in every single one of the next five goals. It's core to what we do, but does it need to be elevated? And we decided that with all the work we're doing on this uh, the last couple of years and what we anticipate to be doing strategically for the next who knows how many years, it really needs to be its own goal and it needs to be the very first goal. So we created an, an advancing racial equity goal as a way of using that compass and that touchstone metaphor to say, this is who we are and this is what we prioritize. Next slide. So the, the first sub goal is to transform the department and its environmental programs to support the collective liberation of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in San Francisco. So the second half of that sentence is language that comes directly from the Office of Racial Equity, 
in terms of how we they want us to think about what racial equity means and what its ultimate goal is. The first part of that sentence is acknowledging that that work is done internally focused on our own department as well as externally with our programs. And so the strategies and the objectives in this sub goal, you will see focus a lot on our racial equity action plan, which is internally focused, doing things like making sure that we are normalizing the way we talk about race, uh, looking at our hiring practices, making sure that our racial equity tool is being used for all of our program and looking for systemic and structural barriers that we are supporting or in fact putting in place throughout our programs. So yes, racial equity is throughout every objective and strategy and goal, but here we're calling out our work to make sure it is so. All right, next slide. All right. So goal two of six is to promote healthy communities and ecosystems. And this goal is all about protecting the health of San Francisco's residents, businesses, and city staff by reducing our exposure to harmful chemicals and increasing our community's access to nature. Next slide, please. The first sub goal is to increase adoption of safer alternatives to harmful products and materials. And this is all about promoting the use of safer products, creating and advancing markets for such products, and expanding integrated pest management practices, which we just heard a bit about earlier, which serve to reduce pest populations while minimizing human health and environmental hazards. Next slide, please. Our second sub goal under the parent goal two is to connect all residents, workers, and visitors with nature every day. And this goal, this sub goal is all about ensuring those populations, residents, workers, visitors, have the opportunity to connect with nature by increasing the biodiversity of the city's built and natural environments and by improving access to nature, notably for our city's youth, which we uh, achieve through partnerships in collaboratives like San Francisco Children in Nature. Off to you, Debbie. All right, next slide. So goal three, goal three has, uh, three sub goals. So this is leading on climate action. And I'm really proud and excited about this goal. This goal of all the ones that carried forward from last time around, this one evolved the most. And I think it reflects the strategic work that we've done as a commission and as a department over the last five years. Uh, and it's, it's very inspiring to me, frankly. All right, next, next slide. So the first sub goal is to achieve net zero emissions by 2040 while advancing racial equity, social justice, and economic justice. So this is saying, yes, we have very bold mitigation goals. We are doing those at the, as we do them. We are doing them thinking about racial equity, social justice, and economic justice. Those are inextricably linked. So in this sub goal is where you're gonna see our climate action plan uh, referenced you're gonna see some of the uh, work that we've been doing around carbon sequestration, that idea of net zero. This is where we acknowledge the importance of our green bin, the composting, natural forms of sequestration. Uh, it's also where you're going to see, we talk about energy efficiency in this because as we talked about, we can't 
meet our zero emission goals unless we reduce our load. Uh, this is where we're talking about our natural gas work that we're going to need to do. We've already banned on new construction. So this is where we're going to be talking about existing buildings and the work to come. And it's, of course, also where we talk about some electric vehicle work and um, changing the modes. I'm sorry, that is going to be in our next goal. So next, I jumped ahead. All right, you can see why I jumped ahead. So our, our next sub goal is to reduce the carbon impacts of fuels and materials. I actually really love the language of this sub goal because it's, it took a long time to craft. It's very elegant and very succinct and specific because we know if we're gonna lead on climate action, we have to get off natural gas. We have to get off of gasoline and diesel. So of course, here is where you're gonna see a lot of our transportation work because this is where we're talking about um, not only electrification, but also mode shift, getting people out of cars altogether. And of course, I meant to say, this is where all of our natural gas and building electrification is. Next slide. And goal three, this is a, a new goal, a new sub goal. And it's interesting to me that it wasn't in our strategic plan last time around, because we actually spend a lot of time doing this. We just never called it out. So it's advocate for the policy and resource decisions required for San Francisco to meet its ambitious climate goals. We spent a lot of time looking at the federal and um, state landscape to try and make sure we have vertical integration between our goals and the goals of those entities that can pass legislation and supply funding. Um, so incredibly important work that we do at that level. We also do a lot of work right now and are thinking strategically about how to get the resources we need. And that's where this long range funding study is coming, the work with uh, raising money from the general fund to fund the hub. So this is how we advocate for those resources, not only for our department, but for all the city departments that are needed, as well as for some of the nonprofits. Really important work. And now it's elevated in our new strategic plan. Right, back to you for goal four. All right, we're at the halfway mark. So the fourth of our six strategic goals is to strengthen community resilience. And this goal is all about the role of our department and its programs in promoting community and climate resilience through our, especially through our small business and low income resident serving programs, as well as through city partnerships and supporting activities. Next slide, please. The first sub goal under this goal is to increase affordability, quality of life and economic vitality in San Francisco. And this sub goal positions those key department programs as integral to increasing community resilience and affordability. Programs like the San Francisco Green Business Program, our energy efficiency programs and Fixed SF, which we administer in partnership with the Department of Public Health help to reduce energy, water, and refuse generation and the associated costs for our small business and low-income communities while promoting quality of life. This sub-goal also reflects our commitment to supporting workforce development through our job training programs, such as our 99 series uh, trainee positions, as well as through our fellowships and internships, and in partnership with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Next slide, please. And this sub goal uh, is to increase San Francisco's resilience to climate change impacts. 
Now, while the department doesn't lead the city's climate adaptation and resilience work, this sub-goal acknowledges the department's important role in partnering with other city agencies and jurisdictions on adaptation planning and community engagement. And we wanna make sure that as we respond to climate impacts like power outages from flooding or wildfires, that the critical facilities that serve our most vulnerable populations have the power they need to continue their operations. So one of our strategies here is to facilitate the installation of battery storage and microgrids at critical facilities, city buildings, and other essential community hubs to increase resilience and lower electricity costs. Back to you, Debbie. Oh, uh, I think you're muted. Thank you, thank you, gosh. Um, achieve zero waste and zero toxic. So this used to just say achieve zero waste, but what we've been doing when we talk about zero 80, 100 routes, when we talk about the zero goal, we've been including zero toxics as well. So this is a way of elevating that and solidifying it, if you will, the way we wanna talk about our programs and what zero means. So that's a little bit of a shift in this goal. All right, next sub goal one, next slide. So this says reduce solid waste generation and disposal. So what's really important here is that this is a goal, this is a sub goal where we don't only talk about collection and the, all the work we're doing around promoting sorting and increase, increasing technology and um, the ability to collect and uh, recycle and compost, but it's also an acknowledgement of the important work of reducing generation. And you might recall that in 2018 with the Global Climate Action Summit, Mayo Breed signed on a brand new goal, uh, an international global goal with C40 to reduce generation of municipal solid waste 15% by 2030. So what reducing generation means is the actual size of the blue and the green bins can decrease not because people are putting things in the wrong place, but because we're buying reusables, we're using everything, we're eating all our food. We don't need to put it in the green bin or the blue bin. So that's the goal we have is to reduce generation. This is also a place where we talk about household hazardous waste and all the incredible programming we're doing, giving out grants to our community partners, uh, using our retail partners as collection sites. So lots of different work here as well as some of our construction and demolition work. Okay, next slide. Sub goal two is to promote responsible consumption by San Francisco residents and businesses. Here is where we're looking upstream. We wanna prevent food waste. This is a big push strategically we're gonna be doing in the next three years. And of course, a, a journey that San Francisco is always on which is to reduce problem products to begin with. What are the things that have no place in the blue bin that are hazardous to use, dangerous to dispose of and impede the circular economy? So this is where we're looking at what people are buying and what's on the market. And then our last goal, on to you. All right. And last but certainly not least is our sixth goal, which is to amplify community action. And this goal is all about the pivotal role of the community in advancing our climate action goals through not only their behavioral choices, but also their leadership and their partnership on shaping community programs and initiatives. Next slide, please. 
Our first sub goal under goal six is to build a shared culture of environmental stewardship across San Francisco. And this sub goal reflects the importance of ensuring our programs and communications about them reflect the values and needs of our community. SFE has prided itself on innovative campaigns and communications, and we mean to maintain that leadership founded upon an understanding of our community's values and needs and leading with those values and needs in our communications, importantly. And we can't develop new programs, services, and incentive models, nor communicate about them effectively without the input and support of community partners. So in this sub goal, we acknowledge that and we commit to maintaining that critical partnership. This sub goal also reflects our aim to reduce confusion about the city's various programs and services by aligning those we manage with others managed by our fellow departments as appropriate and strengthening the impact of those programs through that collective sort of um, collaboration partnership. Next slide. And our second sub goal is to provide residents and institutions with resources and opportunities to help protect our city and planet. This sub goal acknowledges that we can't do the important work we're entrusted with alone. We need to support, empower, and promote the efforts of our community through grants, through entry-level positions, and other workforce development opportunities. We also need to challenge and support our business community in taking climate action through public-private partnerships, while continuing to inspire and mobilize our residents to action under the auspices of our 08100 Roots Climate Action Strategy. Back to you, Debbie. And to wrap it up, our last slide, you know, a plan, yes, a plan is lovely. It will serve as a compass. It serves as a touchstone. But at the end of the day, it's all about action. It's about what we do with those strategies, how we put them into place, how we find the resources and work together. This is a living document. We're coming back in a couple years to, you know, with you and with the community to see where we need to go from here. I think when I step back and look at this plan as a whole, I'm impressed, frankly, that our little department, which you know is little for San Francisco bureaucracy, is able to point our city in the direction that we need to go in and to inspire, cajole, shame if we need to, uh, others to join us. We pull so many different levers. We work really hard as city employees, as public servants, and the variety and the integrity of the goals and the actions in this plan, I think speak very highly of what we've been able to do and what our plans are. And as a commission, you are on this journey with us. We are taking you along with us for every step of the way. Uh, I really, appreciate your support. This strategic plan is a reflection of the commission and a reflection of all the wonderful people uh, who make up the department. So with that, we'll turn it back. Katie, you can stop the share mode. All right, well, thank you so much. I mean, it's awesome to see all of this come together and specifically um, two things really stood out to me that I, I appreciated greatly. And I'm, I think it's no surprise to anyone that um, within goal three, the advocating for policy and resource decisions is such a necessary piece of this. And I'm thrilled to see it in the plan. I just think that that's gonna take us a long way in the next couple of years to do the necessary work that we need to do. So 
bravo on all the hard work that went into that. And also it does look beautiful. So thank you for sharing it. Commissioners, any questions or comments? All right, public, any comments? Let's open it up to public comment, Katie. Great, I will put the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen. There we go. All right, and just a reminder that comments should be related to this agenda item, which is the department strategic plan, and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And please be sure to press star three in order to be added to the comment queue. If you do not press star three, then you will not be added to the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take a brief pause. I'm seeing no callers in the queue. All right. Thank you, Asia. Thank you, Debbie. Next item, please. All right. Moving on to item nine, director's report. Speaker is Deborah Raffel, director, and the explanatory document is the director's report, and this item is for discussion. All right, Director Raffel. Thank you. All right. We're getting to the end of the meeting. The director's report. Um, so, Summer usually is a really laid back time, but for our department, uh, we did manage to take some vacations and people did find some downtime, but there's still a lot that's been going on. And I just wanna let you know what we've been working on. So one of the really big exciting thing is the construction and demolition ordinance is uh, passed unanimously by the board of supervisors, signed by the mayor. Uh, we had a little signing ceremony with supervisor Safai yesterday with uh, some members of unions, the Teamsters Union and um, some colleagues. It's really wonderful. This commission has been following it for two years. So as you know, it has been a long time coming. And I just wanna say it was an incredible team effort between Charles, Jack Macy, James Slattery. Uh, the three of them worked tirelessly to get this off. And thank you so much commissioners for your support. This is such a large part of what is illegally going to landfill right now is construction and demolition debris. So this will give us enforcement capacity. It's the sheriff's department was also with us at the signing ceremony because it, it codifies a relationship and provides resources where needed. As you know, um, or you may know, uh, last week was New York Climate Week. Uh, there was a lot of wonderful things online. There were some things in person. And the point of it was to um, have people accelerate their work in, ahead of COP26 that's happening in Scotland in November. And one of the things that C40 did, a very important partner, is they created this renewable energy declaration. They reached out to Mayor Breed to say, would she be willing to sign up San Francisco to make a global statement? She said yes. She joined 15 other mayors. Um, to talk about a just and equitable energy transition. Uh, so she signed the declaration publicly. It is all about that juxtaposition of air quality, job creation, um, protecting from the, uh, our most vulnerable from the impacts of climate change and supporting clean renewable electricity. So very 
easy in a way for us to get on board with, but the commitments are very serious and they align perfectly with our climate action plan. Speaking of climate action plan, uh, we are gonna hear about it at the next full commission meeting. So that's gonna be a, a presentation on our climate action plan. The next day, December 8th, will be the formal launch. So you will hear more about that. We are going to do a formal launch in partnership with TED and YouTube and C40. There's something called Project Countdown that those three entities are working on. And we're gonna be an official, our launch of our climate action plan will be an official event, in pro, a global event in Project Countdown, but it'll be focused on celebrating the champions of action within our city and inviting everyone to come help us implement this climate action plan. So one of my favorite things I get to do with you is introduce you to some new staff who have made it through uh, this meeting. So I'm gonna call their names and they will hopefully turn on their cameras and say just a couple words to introduce themselves. So I'm looking who's still here. So um, one second. So Jennifer Lomelli, can you, she's with Environment Now. Jennifer, can you say hello? Hi, hello. Um, my name is Jennifer. Um, I'm considered an environmental educational aide with the education team to present and implement environmental curriculum on zero waste for um, elementary school youth. And I'm most excited with working with a great team and hopefully getting to do in-person presentations sometime soon. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, let's hope. Welcome, Jennifer. Michael Bybee on our outreach team. Are you here, Michael? No, oh yeah, you are, there you are. Hello, can everyone hear me? Yep, we can hear you perfect. Perfect. Um, hi, as Debbie said, my name is Michael Bybee and I am the new data coordinator for the department. Um, I will be working on supporting and administering um, the department's Salesforce application. Uh, I'll be doing this to really streamline the workflow processes and leveraging each program's outreach efforts so that we can really build collaboration internally within the department and externally to other departments. And um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to be a part of the department. I, I feel like there are a lot of really exciting moving pieces going on, the strategic plan, um, the city's climate action plan. And as we heard, programs like Energy Access SF are really providing and moving equitable, sustainable change. And I feel really lucky to be a part of all of this. And we are so happy to have you, Michael. Our Salesforce, we're gonna be so much more effective with your help. All right, Rachel Jadot, she's in our environmental education program. Hi, good evening, everyone. Uh, I guess my name's Rachel. I'm a new 99.22 with the school ed team. Um, something that I'll be working on is definitely focusing on a zero waste curriculum virtually, which is something new, like new to everybody. Um, and I'm really excited to dive in and reach out to other branches within the department. All these projects and goals sound really interesting. So really excited to network. Great, welcome, Rachel and Tommy Way also in environmental education, Rachel's colleague. Hi, Hi everyone. Um, like uh, Debbie said, I'm also on the school ed team, uh, but I'll be working on the Save the Bay program. And I'm also really excited to be here and learn from everyone and other teams in the department. All right, welcome Tommy. And Jamie Cifuentes, uh, who is a colleague of Rachel and Tommy's, Jamie. 
Oops, I think you're on mute. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Jamie Cifuentes. I am part of the school ed team as well. I am an environmental education, educational aide, <laughs> and I am really excited about this opportunity to be able to be involved in education, also to be able to connect with the communities and also from learn from the organization. Thank you. Wonderful, Jamie. Welcome, welcome. You can see we've got Gianna is very excited. She's got three new staff and the Environment Now team is bringing on new people. Um, one person who I don't see here. Uh, Tiffany is here. She's on the phone. Oh, oh, good. Okay. Tiffany Holmes. She is a, she's a student at USF and she is a McCarthy fellow on the policy team. So Tiffany, say hello. Hi, yeah, apologies. I'm logging in from my phone so you guys can't see me, but um, yes, my name's Tiffany. I am an intern and currently on the policy and public affairs team. And I'm just really excited to, you know, take an active approach in being more involved with local policy and supporting the development and media relations um, that the department has mentioned in and just learning as much as I can. Thank you. All right. And I've had the privilege of chatting with Tiffany and she is one impressive young woman. And when she graduates, we need to find a way to get her into public service because we need people like Tiffany in public service. So, and I'm so grateful that all of you folks decided to come and join us in public service. So with that, that is the end of my director's report. Thank you, Debbie. Commissioners, any comments or questions? Let's open up public comment, please. All right, I will put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen. And as a reminder, comments should be related to this agenda item, which is the director's report. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. If you do not press star three, your name will not appear in the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another brief pause. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, public comments closed. Welcome everybody that's new to the department and thank you for sticking with us to the bitter end of our meeting here. Katie, next item please. All right, moving on to item 10, committee reports. And this item is for discussion. Awesome, Commissioner Sullivan, would you please give us a report on the policy committee? Sure, happy to do so. So we're very excited that Commissioner Bermejo has joined the policy committee, looking forward to her uh, contributions going forward. Uh, the committee last met on September 13th when we heard from Chris Geiger about the reduced risk pesticide list. As Debbie mentioned earlier, we also heard presentations from Public Works and the airport about the progress that they've made with their integrated pest management programs. And as you now know, we voted to recommend that the commission approve the list for 2021. Our next meeting will be uh, this coming Monday, October 4th at 5 p.m. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Wan, any update from the Operations Committee? Sure, it's also my great 
pressure to have commissioners on and Commissioner Hunter joining me on the operations committee moving forward. So I'm really excited about that. Um, the committee hasn't met since our last commission meeting at the end of July. So our next meeting will be on Wednesday, October 20th at 5 p.m. Great, thank you. Uh, any public comment on this item? All right, I will put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen. And comments should be related to this item, which uh, was the committee reports. And you will have three minutes to make your comment. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. If you do not press star three, then you will not be added to the queue and I will not be able to call on you. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another pause. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, let's close public comment and move to the next item, please. All right. Oops, I apologize. One, there was, I don't know if you want to open public comment, but. Um... Yeah, let's do it. We haven't had any public comment. Let's go back. <laughs> open public comment back up on the last item, please. All right. Oh, I apologize. The comment just left the <laughs> All right, maybe they'll come back at the end. All right. Let's go to the next item then. All right. Moving on to the next item, item 11, announcements, and this item is for discussion. Commissioners, any announcements? All right, I don't see any announcements um, from any of the commissioners. Let's open it up to public comment here. All right, put the instructions back up on the screen. And as a reminder, uh, please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another pause. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, let's close public comment and move to the next item, please. All right. Moving on to item 12, new business and future agenda items. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer, and this item is for discussion. Go ahead, Charles. Thanks. Thank you, uh, Katie. Thank you, President Stevenson. The next um, policy meeting is October 4. The next operations meeting is October 20th. And the next commission meeting is December 7th. That is the final one for the year. Um, some of the potential topics we are hoping to bring to you include a presentation as, as Debbie uh, talked about in context for other things, a presentation on our climate action plan, as well as a potential presentation on the status of the city's effort to um, acquire the electric grid um, and as typical, um, the performance evaluation for our director. 
And those are the things coming up. I don't know if anyone has any questions. Any questions or comments, commissioners? All right, public comment, please. All right, I'll put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen. And anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item should please press star three in order to be added to the queue. Otherwise you will not be added to the comment queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I'm not currently seeing any callers, but we'll take another brief pause. I'm seeing no callers in the queue. I mean, in 11 years on this commission, I have never once been through an entire meeting without a single public comment. So that's a, that's a new one for me. Let's close public comment and move to the next item, please. All right, moving on to the next item, which is item 13, adjournment. And with that, the time is 7 p.m. Thank you for joining us. All right, thanks for all your work. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.